Thanks for being here today. Um, my name is Jaden. I don't know if you might not know who I am. I'm the guy who sits in the back of the sound booth usually. So I'm really glad to see your faces today. Um, so if you don't know me, I'm like the media pastor here, associate pastor, whatever you want to call me, you know, I've probably been called worse. So, but uh, thanks for being here today. Thad's not here, um, and he sends you his blessing and his greetings as well. He's actually down in Sumner today speaking at a church called Living Hope. And if you don't know what Living Hope is, it's a church um, that was started by our friend Brent Osborne. And uh, he started it in the Christmas Eve of 2012, so just over a year ago. And so they also meet in the school. And so um, the cool thing about Brent is that he um, was at a church in Sumner as a youth pastor. And then uh, he kind of felt the call to start his own church in Sumner. And he decided to spend a year with us, the team at Open Life, to kind of see how the whole... Um, uh, starting a church process works, how it actually happens, how he could do it. And so we try to teach him all the things not to do uh, when you're starting a church. Uh, we had some lessons we learned and some uh, just things that we thought would be able to help him. And so he was able to start off really well. And so that's where Thad's speaking today because Brent and his wife just had their second baby uh, within the last few weeks. And so Thad wanted to give him kind of a week off from speaking so that he could you know, be with his family and not have to worry about coming up with a message over a week, course of a week and be with his family. And so that's why I'm speaking today. And so it's going to be awesome. But for, I wanted to start off today just by kind of praying for Thad and praying that uh, for living hope. I mean, they're doing some awesome things. They partner with us a lot. We partner with them. They helped us do um, the big give last November. And so we just really love what living hope is doing. And so let's just pray for them really quick. God, we thank you for, um, for Thad, we thank you for Brent, and we thank you for a church down in Sumner that's uh, just growing and, and just starting out. God, we pray for your blessing on them, and we pray for your blessing on Thad as he speaks. I pray that uh, you would be with living hope, uh, that you would just touch them, um, just help them to receive a word. I think that's speaking on why not, and so I pray that that culture and that idea would kind of resonate with them and that they'd feel that. And apply it to their lives. God, and I pray for open life today. I pray that we would uh, receive from your word. Um, you have a lot for us in the book of Luke, God, and so I pray that we would dive in that, uh, hear from you, and that we would trust in you, what you're doing here. In your name, amen. So thanks for that. Um, I don't know if some of you guys pray on a weekly basis, but praying for pastors and stuff, we greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you want to do that more often, we are more than happy to have it. Uh, we pray for you every week um, at our staff meeting. And so when you write prayer requests on your connection card over the course of the service or at the end of service, we just want you to know we pray for those every week. Uh, and we go through them, we have them on our list. And so they're not just like, you know, the when you go to a restaurant and put in a comment, and you're like, is anyone ever going to read that? That's not what the connection card is here. We read those, we pray for you, and so we just want you to know that today. So if you did, this is your like, first time here in a while, we're walking through uh, the book Gospel of Luke. We're, it's like a big, long series. We started at the beginning of the year, and so now we're in chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. So we're taking our time, but it's really, I've, I've really enjoyed it because... What I love about the Bible is that you can just take parts of it and apply it to your lives. That you can just take those little segments of Scripture and you can really just see what God is doing in the Scripture. And you can totally take that and apply it to your lives. And so if you've missed any of the messages, we just want you to know that there is a page on our website. It's for our podcast. And 
It's a new site that has all of our messages laid out with our graphics. You can click on them and listen to all of the series, all the messages that were done in that series. So if you've missed something and you're like, I have an extra, you know, 30, 40 minutes, and you're like, I want to like do, I just want something in the background other than maybe TV or or music, and you say, you know, I missed a message. Like, it's a perfect opportunity to listen to maybe a message that you've missed in the last month or so. But let's just dive right in there today. Luke 2, 21 through 40, and I'm just going to read through the whole scripture, and then we'll kind of like break it into chunks, talk about the story a little bit, and then, you know, in however much time we'll be done. And so, Luke 2, 21 says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that we've spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So I was looking at this passage over the last week and kind of studying about it. And, you know, there's this temptation when I'm, like, preparing a message or, you know, thinking about writing, even just writing something up. I, like, have you ever read those blogs online that says, you know, the three things you need to know to do this, or the seven things that you have to do in order to be successful, or the 21 things that you have to do. Like, there's so many different articles now. It's like, it's like, it's just a ploy to get you to read them. Like, I love the ones that say, like, three things, and then they don't even number things off when you read the article. And you're like, that's not fair. You know, you told me there was three things I needed to know. But it's like, I have that temptation when I'm preparing a message. I'm like, man, what are the just three things that people at Open Life really need to know? And I was like, I was like looking at this, and like, this is a story. I can't come up with just three specific things. I have some thoughts and ideas for our fill-ins, you know. We're going to have the fill-in-the-blank action going on today, so no need to worry. You can still use your little um, handout. But there's not that, like, you know, seven things that you have to know. And I think there's a temptation when we read the Bible and when we read Scripture, we want to have that idea 
in the Bible. It was like, okay, I want to just open the Bible and just tell me what I need to know. But like, that's not how scripture works. It's like a living, breathing document. You read it and you could learn something now that you're not going to learn in 10 years or vice versa. You'll learn it in 10 years, but you are not going to learn it the first time you open the Bible. But that's why you got to be in it. You got to be reading it. You got to like, just like chew on it and soak on it. And when there's things you don't understand, don't just like toss it away, but like study it and figure out what is God trying to tell me? Like, who is Jesus? That's what I love about walking through this uh, series on Luke is like, we get to, we really get to go verse by verse and look at all the things that Jesus did in his life. And there's a lot to apply to our lives as well. Every passage, including today's, fits into this greater story of the Bible. There's some obvious themes, and I just pulled out some simple points that we're going to fill in today, but don't glorify the points and miss out on just the story of Jesus. The Bible is a huge story that connects itself time after time, and it connects itself to our lives as well. And so that's our goal for this morning, is to connect with this little story of baby Jesus in the temple and connect it to our lives. And so we have Mary and Joseph. They've actually seen the promise that was given to them by the angel Gabriel. The the promise that said, you know, Mary, you're a virgin, but you're going to be with child, and you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Like, this is the 40 days after that happened. And I just imagine, you know, I have friends who have kids. I don't have a, I've never had a baby, and my wife hasn't had a baby, so, like, that's, uh, that's good to know. But, and I know it's for my friends who've had babies. It's just a whirlwind, that new, like, process of having a child. But imagine for Joseph and Mary what it would have been like to be in that situation. And it's like this promise that you're like, okay, God, you told me it was going to happen, but now I have to believe. And obviously the belief would grow deeper and deeper as Mary showed signs of having a child and being pregnant. But you got to imagine the minute that Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph must have looked at themselves and said, wow, like, this is really happening. This just happened. On the eighth day, Jesus is circumcised and actually given his name Jesus. If you have been here the past couple of weeks, you've heard about the story of John's circumcision and naming. And Thad walked through the, some of the details in regards to John's birth two weeks ago. So for the sake of time, I'll again point you to the podcast page on our website. But I'll mention that we did talk about names, and at the end of the service, we had people write what God, what you felt like God was calling your name to be, whether it was uh, something that's just stirring up inside you. But Jesus' name points to who he truly is. It was a common name at the time. It's actually the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, and the meaning of his name is, the Lord is salvation. Take that in for a minute. The Lord is salvation. This is the name God told Mary to name the baby. God said, I am sending my son to this world, and his name isn't going to mean I shall conquer all, or I'm going to rule the world, and all people shall be my slaves. No, that's not what Jesus' name means. Jesus' name points to the grace and mercy and the saving power of God. The Lord is salvation. Your first fill-in today is Jesus comes as the answer for all people. I have questions about my life. I don't understand, always understand why and how things happen with life. I'm sure Joseph and Mary had questions. We just read about Simeon and Anna 
the newcomers in this story. I'm sure they had questions about their time, both of them waiting for a Savior. Jesus comes at a time when answers are needed. The Jews are searching for freedom. Gentiles, people who weren't part of the people of Israel, need saving too. Jesus comes at a time in history not too different from our own. There's always threats of violence, political unrest. The daily grind of life affects the people of Jesus' time just like it does today. As we study further, you will notice that Jesus is the answer for both Israel but also for all mankind as well. Simeon said Jesus would be the light for the Gentiles and the glory of his people, Israel. Anna also calls Jesus the redemption of Jerusalem. For those searching for answers or freedom or salvation, Jesus is the answer to all of those things. Now in our time, we look to Jesus for those same things. 2,000 years later, we are longing for peace. We need hope in our circumstance. We need freedom from our sin. We need salvation. Jesus is that answer. Jesus' name is the Lord is salvation. Forty days after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph would have been unclean and needed to go to the temple to offer a sacrifice to become clean. A couple Old Testament passages referencing this practice are found in First Exodus 13.2, where it says, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every room among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Leviticus 12.6-8 explains the process of becoming clean after childbirth. And it says, When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she'll be ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she's to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she'll, she will be clean. We learn from the action of Mary and Joseph that they are people who are devout followers of God's laws. The fact that they take the time to take Jesus up to Jerusalem shows that they are reverent towards God with the way they live. But we also learn that Mary and Joseph are not well off as well. The normal practice is to offer a lamb and a pigeon for the burnt offering and sin offering at the temple, just as the passage from Leviticus tells us. The offering given in this instance, two pigeons, Mary and Joseph, that's what they gave. The provision, which is stated in Scripture, was made for those who couldn't afford a lamb. How fitting that the Son of God, the one that would eventually give up his life for all, comes out of a family that can't even give a lamb. We next meet Simeon, a man who we are told is righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Then we meet Anna, a prophetess, an 84-year-old widow who never left the temple, she was found worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So if we have a roll call of the story so far, we have Joseph, we have Mary, both devout followers of Jesus. Then we meet Simeon and Anna, both of them devout as well. So your next fill-in is this, and it might sound funny, but it's okay to be devout. Here in this passage, the word devout means full of reverence towards God. It's okay to have full reverence towards God. I'm encouraged by this part of the story because here you have people who are devout followers of God who actually recognize who Jesus is 
and give praise and thankfulness for what they are seeing in this baby, Jesus. As we continue to dive into the Gospel of Luke in the coming weeks and months, you'll notice more and more that devout people who don't recognize who Jesus is. A lot of these people are called Pharisees or hypocrites. They're so preoccupied with their devoutness that they couldn't open their eyes to see the Savior of the world when he was right in front of them. They've given devout people a bad name ever since because now it's thought of as bad to be religious or to be someone who, who just follows the rules. But you have people like Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna who are commended by Luke for their reverence for God. And they're showing us that if you keep your focus on God, he will reveal himself in unimaginable ways. It quickly becomes an issue of where Jesus is in the pecking order of our lives. I've been to churches where things other than Jesus take priority over him. Worship songs, carpet colors, stage foliage, chair comfort, all become a higher priority than making sure Jesus was being put at the center of that church. Let the characters in this story challenge you in areas of your life. It could be areas of giving. Mary and Joseph gave even though they couldn't give the lamb. In the area of waiting on God, Simeon was told that he would see Jesus before he died, but there was no guarantee of when that would happen. In the area of prayer and worship, Anna, the prophetess, devoted herself to being in the presence of God day and night. Pray more. Give more. Wait on God more. Just don't get so preoccupied with all of those doings that you miss Jesus when he is sitting there right in front of you. Joseph, Mary, Simeon, and Anna, they recognized who Jesus was while still holding full reverence for God and being devout followers of his laws. The words of Simeon in this story are so revealing to the heart of God. He says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Then to Mary he says this, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that we have spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Your next villain is this, Jesus deals with matters of the heart. Simeon, the man who was promised by the Holy Spirit to see the Lord's Christ, or the Savior of all people, is a man who just walks into the temple one day and sees a young, not well-off couple with a seven to eight week old baby. And all of a sudden he just says, you know what, this baby is salvation for everyone. Simeon's words to Mary explain it perfectly. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That expression is particularly exciting because it puts everyone on notice for the rest of Jesus' story. Jesus is coming to deal with matters of the heart. Old rules in the Old Testament put in place were put in place so that the hearts of Israel would not turn from God. But there are going, those rules are going to be fulfilled through Jesus' life so that the hearts of everyone will be turned toward God. Hearts and lives open to Jesus are going to be fulfilled, but hearts and lives that can't recognize who Jesus is are going to turn away. Simeon makes it clear that Jesus is a light for all, not just for the people of Israel, but for every person. People leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, that's Open's life's mission. That's our goal. 
But that's what we are, is that we want to be a place where hearts can be revealing. We want it to be a heart-revealing place that broken people with broken hearts can find rest, can find peace in Jesus here at Open Life and through the people that make up Open Life. My continual prayer through this passage has been, God, let me be one who sees Jesus for who he is and not who I want him to be. Simeon and Anna saw that God had sent Jesus. The minute that Jesus came into the temple with his parents, it seems like it was a whiplash moment for Simeon and Anna. Their eyes were just drawn to Jesus. Their hearts cried out because they knew of the coming of Jesus and what it meant for the people of Israel, but also for all mankind, for all people, that this was the Savior. The Lord is salvation, but many missed him. I pray that I see the moments in my life where I know where I get to be Jesus to people. I pray I can see those moments, that I can have those whiplash moments where I just turn and I can see Jesus in my life and how I can be him to other people. I pray that my eyes and heart are attentive for whiplash moments where I can provide encouragement and guidance through the love of Jesus. The setting of this story is particularly important. Before coming to Jerusalem and to the temple, Jesus was born humbly in a manger and has been with his humble yet devout parents. The temple is really the place where God would interact with his people. There isn't this super personal feeling towards God among his people. You have a set a group of priests chosen to meet with God. Everything is very official. Everything is covered by law. It's ceremonial so that things are done right and so the interaction with God can be handled correctly. Jesus coming to the temple will be seen over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. You'll see him come back here again and hear him say, It's my father's house when he's a little bit older. Then uh, when he's during his ministry, you'll hear him come to the temple and say that this is a place should not be a place of commerce. And then eventually he will begin to say things like that he will destroy the temple. The hearts of many will be revealed through Jesus' teaching. But when Jesus is eventually crucified and raises again, and when we choose to believe all this, and when the Holy Spirit comes and fills us in that moment, when we believe, no longer do we have to run to the temple to be clean. No longer do we have to go to the temple priest to interact with God. Because Jesus died and rose again, we are now the place where God dwells. That's your fourth fill-in. We are now the place where God dwells. The Spirit of God is now living inside of us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. A sacrifice once made, but done for all. Simeon knew that this baby, Jesus, was going to bring light to all. And Anna knew that Jesus was the redemption of Jerusalem. Now we all get to share in that joy. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If we don't realize the very real impact of this, then we totally miss why Jesus came to earth. We can go to God with confidence of his grace when we find ourselves trapped in sin. We can live in the power of the Holy Spirit to impact the way we live our lives right now, but to also be an influence on others that points right back to who Jesus is. We can pray and know that God hears our prayers because of what Jesus did. But also as a church, it means even more. And not just as open life as a church, and not just as a building. That's not what the church is. But as the church, as a group of believers, as, the, as just brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul gives guidance in this. And, 
him talking about both Jews and Gentiles in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, 19 through 22, Paul says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. Jews and Gentiles are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now in verse 20, he says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The life of knowing Jesus and following him is not meant to be practiced alone. This is what open life strives to be. A place where we can come together to be a place where God dwells in and through his people. People leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Imagine yourself in that temple, seeing that little baby with his humble parents, knowing is, that he is the actual fulfillment of the temple. No longer do people have to go to the temple to be close to God. Now they just must go to Jesus. For the early church, it's an odd transition. Now that Jesus has come to earth, well, what do we do with all those laws from the Old Testament? If Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice, do we still need to sacrifice lambs and pigeons? Do we still need to be circumcised even if we are grown adults who just want to know the grace of God through Jesus? These are all things that are dealt with. And you'll even read about those things in the Bible and after the Gospels is that the early church struggled with these sorts of issues and decisions. There's a struggle to put Jesus at the center of everything and that life with him go out from there. Think about the transition that the early church had to go through. For so long, they've been so used to the laws and the ceremonies and, and bringing the sacrifices and, and living according to the law of God. But then Jesus comes and basically changes everything because he is the fulfillment of the law. And so you have the early church trying to grasp with these things and trying to, to live out what the church is supposed to look like after Jesus and so imagine that there's still people that are still going to the temple and still following all the laws because they think that's what they're supposed to do, but then they lose sight of who Jesus is. The final fill-in is this. Devotion becomes idolatry when Jesus is anywhere but the center. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna in the story were all devoted followers of Jesus. But imagine if Simeon walks into the temple to worship God yet completely misses who Jesus is. Doesn't even notice that little baby with his parents. He has now put the temple above Jesus. His devotion has become idolatry. He's putting the temple over recognizing the Son of God. 84-year-old Anna, the widow, is sitting in the temple day and night, worshiping, praying, fasting. But imagine if she misses who Jesus is. What is the point if she does this? Her devotion has become idolatry. The same can be true for our lives in the way that we live them, in the church and out of it. Every week we go through these rituals. Day by day, we go to work every day, provide for our family, come home, watch TV, play with our kids, go to bed, repeat the next day. Do that over and over and over. Providing for your family is not a bad thing, so I'm not coming down on that. But the whole idea that we would put providing for our family and, and being in that repetition before we even choose to follow Jesus. It's so easy 
to have Jesus not be the center of our lives. And anytime we pull Jesus out of the center and begin to replace that with things that aren't him, then we begin to have a little form of idolatry in our lives. We are the temple now. But don't you think we are missing something? If we can't carve out time for a time of prayer or a time to read his word or a budget line in our own finances, it's really easy to let awesome things rob us of recognizing Jesus. It's also easy to let sin creep in and rob us of recognizing Jesus. Whatever that thing is in your life, if you're devoted to it more than you're devoted to Jesus, then you've pulled Jesus from the center and you've replaced him with something else. Let us be people who notice and recognize Jesus. Let us be people who listen to him and do what he says. Let us hold Jesus in full reverence. Let's be devout to him. Let's devote our lives to him. If we don't have Jesus, then we have completely missed the boat. Let us be people like Simeon, like Anna, like Joseph and Mary. Let us recognize those whiplash moments when Jesus walks in a room that we would turn our head to look at him. That we would see him for who he is, not who we want him to be. So we have some simple action steps this week. The first one is choose to become devoted to Jesus. Do it today. If you've never chosen to follow him, why not make today your day to do that? It's a simple decision, but it's not one to be taken lightly. Today can be the day where you choose to follow him and you say, God, I want to follow you. I want to begin to put you at the center of my life and let my life reverberate from that fact that you're now at the center. The second action step is identify areas of your life where Jesus isn't at the center. Is there something in your heart or in your life that you're putting above Jesus? Whatever it is, it could be your job. It could even be your family. It could be great things that you're doing, but if you're putting them above Jesus, then you're devoting yourself to that and you're not going to recognize Jesus in your life. The third one is to just to begin to pray for Easter. We're a little bit over a month out of Easter and, and this is a perfect time to just start praying for people who are going to come and make open life their Easter home. Our prayer is that people would begin to experience the love of Jesus even now. And so we're handing out uh, little bookmarks today that, that kind of just go through what Open Life is doing for Easter, but then also a chance for you to write three names down and just to begin to pray for them in, in hopes that you'll, you can ask them to be your guest to Open Life on Easter Sunday. We're going to have stuff for kids, we're going to have stuff for adults, and it's just going to be an awesome time to come together to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But we would love to have you invite three people. So just put three names on that list and, and just begin to pray for it. But more than that, begin to just pray for Easter and the whole idea of searching for Jesus and realizing that what he did for you, dying on the cross and rising again three days later, it's so awesome. And if we lose sight of it and if Easter becomes, you know, about so many different things, whether you have the Easter bunny or you have the, the stress of getting the family together and having an Easter dinner, don't lose sight of what Easter is all about, and that's Jesus. So we're going to keep talking about Luke uh, in the coming weeks, about the Gospel of Luke and Jesus' life through that. 
but let's be expectant for something amazing to happen on Easter. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go back into worship. God, I just thank you, God, for your story uh, of just how Jesus was dedicated at the temple. I thank you for, for just the example and the challenge of people of Simeon and Anna and, and how they just begin to, to recognize who you are the minute you walked into the temple, God. I thank you for, for Joseph and Mary and that we can see even with the humble beginnings that they have, even with them not being well off, God, you still use them to do mighty things, God. I just pray that we would be people, God, who recognize you in our daily situations, God. That we would put you at the center of our lives, God, so that we could see you. So that, so that if we were there in that temple, that if you came in there as a baby, that we would be so in tune with your spirit and, and just with who you are. That we would turn and we would know that, that you are the Savior that the Lord is salvation. Let us trust in that. Let us believe that, God. And we just pray for Easter coming up. We just pray for this time when people's hearts can be turned towards you and when, when you're on their minds more, God. I pray that you would bring people closer to you. Draw people into your presence, God. We believe it and we ask for it in your mighty name.